ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Peter Kane. Peter is executive partner and co-founder of Market Science, an award-winning marketing effectiveness agency. He has more than 20 years of commercial and academic experience in economics and marketing science, designing econometric business solutions for blue chip companies and organizations. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. One of the most challenging things marketers deal with is determining the effectiveness of their efforts. As the touch points with consumers have grown, so is the complexity of where marketers need to meet those consumers, how they should meet them once they get there. Sadly, as those touch points have exploded, marketing budgets haven't. So understanding where you need to place your spend is ever more difficult, which is why your research is so interesting. Can you describe what your paper set out to create? Okay, so to overcome the limitations of the extant research, my feeling was that we need um, an alternative representation of short-term and long-term brand building. The the problem with the outstanding research is is typically we need a convincing statistical long-term foundation. If we want to viably explain long-term brand building with mindset metrics, for example, then they need to viably explain what I guess you would call persistent evolution in base sales. Mindset metrics need to be linked to base sales because they're two sides of the same coin. One's reveal purchase, the other one's kind of primary research. But the point is, They both need to be evolving if they're going to have some kind of economic explanation of why base sales evolve as they do. Um, We would expect in these models, sales and mindset metrics to co-evolve together. And that's where base sales and mindset metrics are essentially tethered together, where I guess you'd call the relative distance between them is constant. In other words, if mindset metrics are shifted and there's some kind of stabilizing force exists, which are, you know allows base sales to adjust to maintain that relationship between them. This is what I call an economic relationship between them. Right, right. And that co-evolving relationship is bicausal. It can fluctuate between the two. But this type of relationship also follows in the notion that base and attitudinal data are two sides of the same coin. Um, so you know, what I was trying to do was say, well, okay, we need to build a model which allows us to build in these economic foundational constructs, if you like, to really genuinely understand and build long-term, short-term, long-term brand building models. To that end, that was the motivation of the paper, Mm. a more rigorous model, if you like, of the consumer purchase journey, combining a complete short-term part to purchase with a joint theoretical and statistical model for brand building, where we can tease out and understand these long-term preferences and how they're related between mindset metrics and base sales and build a joint model to do that. And that's the genesis, if you like, or the idea of the paper is to build a model which can do that. And the solution was a two-step structure that I put together. And the the genesis of that was there are two core modeling approaches in the econometrics literature to understand the short-term, long-term separation, if you like. The first is, is what is called an unobserved components modeling structure, where the data um, across sales and all these metrics are split directly into short-term effects, 
the usual uh, you know TV effects, all the kind of short-term marketing mix effects that one would expect, are separated out and split away from this so-called unobserved long-term trending component. It's a direct kind of mathematical model which splits out these things. And then in the body of that, long-term equilibrium relationships between you know the mindset metrics and base sales and so on are then quantified directly in terms of how the long-term these long-term components co-evolve together. That's the unobserved component modeling side of the coin. The other side is is this so-called vector error correction or vector autoregression approach, where, you know, in a nutshell, these long-term co-evolving relationships are essentially indirectly backed out of the data. And these are two kind of competing schools of thought, if you like, on how these things should be done. Now, as far as the paper methodology is concerned, the UCM, this unobserved component approach, is ideal for modeling short-term effects of the consumer journey, but it's kind of less suited to estimating these kind of meaningful long-term relationships, mainly because it's very difficult to sort out the ordering. You know, So what is the journey step? What is the ordering? And how do you actually get a proper handle on this long-term relationship? Mm. The VAR, the VEC-M approach, if you like, is better suited for estimating meaningful long-term equilibrium relationships. It's more standard, but it's less suited for quantifying short-term. Right. So that kind of dichotomy, if you like, you know, and also uh, forget, forgive me, one additional point to, to mention is that the VAR approach is well known to suffer from these so-called dimensionality problems. You know, you, you read about a lot of this in textbooks, any more than six variables, these things tend to fall apart, right? Well, imagine the number of variables that we have in, in, in the commercial land running into hundreds. so many. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, so, so these things are great in academia, but when you want to apply these things in a commercial setting, they tend to be, they tend to suffer from these dimensionality problems. So this is a real problem. So, right. you know, what I wanted to do was not only address this kind of theoretical construct of short-term and long-term co-evolution and how these things work together, but also how I can build a practical and scalable solution useful for practitioners. So in doing that, I thought, well, a combination of this unobserved component and VAR is a natural way forward. You know, UCM for short-term, VAR, VECM for long-term trend relationships. And, you know, in this way, we combine two distinct time series approaches into a kind of a unified model of demand. And that's the core two-step structure of the paper. I like a well-placed sigma as well as the next person. But when I show equations to a lot of marketing practitioners, I know they get uncomfortable. So let's set aside the math because you've done the work and the formulas are in the paper and practitioners can ask their research and data science people to use what's in the paper and to help them there. But what I'd like to do is spend the rest of our time talking about the so what of what you've discovered by applying these models, by running them, because you learn some valuable things that practitioners should fold into their thinking about the ways these different components interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And so let's first talk about web traffic, search, and online media. There's been some research already done in this area. What does this research indicate about those the role of those things? Okay, so... The, the, the main or the bulk of all of extant research in this area is predominantly about demonstrating how often online media interact to drive sales, both mm-hmm. often online. Okay. So, for example, you know, TV impacting search, impacting click through, that kind of stuff. And indeed, how online media can drive offline sales. That was the so-called research on- online purchase offline Um, subject, which uh, Google Google was talking about, about, I guess, about 10 years ago now. That's the academic focus of a lot of these papers. But in the commercial world, you know, these types of interactions are used typically to handle this so-called last click attribution 
bias problem. Right. You know, the idea that you look at something like paid search, but, you know, that's the final step in a journey. What's it been driven by in earlier steps of the journey? Like TV right. and stuff. So when you applied your model, you discovered that there was, there was more uh, because you had done these other things and you, you could tease out relationships a little bit better. So what did you discover? Um, quite a few things, actually. So the first is, you know, I corroborate extant research based showing how traditional and digital marketing tactics interact to drive offline and partially online sales. However, what I essentially did was to expand the power to party structure to include uh, initial online search interest. So you can think about Google trend activity and so on, you know, and how that starts off the consumer purchase journey. Um, so you see a TV, TV advert that may stimulate a natural search inquiry, uh, both branded and unbranded, and how TV and, and often online kind of uh, media, et cetera, drive that um, and demonstrate how different, importantly, different media types play distinct roles uh, in that process, helping to inform media strategy. So, you know, for example, in the short term, uh, modeling structure, which is like a network structure, understanding how search, web traffic, and sales interact uh, in a kind of sort of multi-equation framework, if you like. Brand TV advertising, PR, earned media generate initial search interest, reflecting kind of awareness building, I guess you could call it. Whereas magazine inserts, sponsorship TV, things like that can drive web traffic reflecting more of a relationship building type uh, type, type structure. But also in, in in the long-term network, you know, offline paid media, in-store marketing and new product PR build a brand, informing long-term budget allocation. Whereas things like online, online pay media, such as search and display, can perform a purely short-term activation role. So things like that. Well, that seems pretty huge. I, if I'm a marketing person, if I'm following you properly, if I have a specific ad on TV for a specific sale, it might be not as effective as if I were pushing specific sale um, on digital. For instance, Macy's has one day sales. Should they be having one day sale ads on television or should they just really be moving that the, the one day sale drive spend online and the brand drive on television? Um, potentially. I mean, online is typically argued as, as a kind of call to action short term driver, whereas TV is, tends to be more of a branding driver. So in that sense, if you want to build brand, yes, uh, things like offline TV tend to drive brand more. But I think, you know, and we may talk about this a little later, but one of the problems with focusing solely online is that it tends to have problems with attribution. But ultimately, when we think about marketing, we're really interested in causal relationships. So the idea to understand offline TV is less problematic than understanding online because right. online is subject to this selection bias problem. But on top of all that material, um, there are a range of other results um, that we that came up within the model. So for example, talking about media strategy, um, you know, we also show how offline media response differs by retailer um, and can generate beneficial halo effects across manufacturer business units and categories, uh, both directly on sales and uh, in the online funnel. And you know, not only does this help improve offline media targeting, but shows how manufacturers uh, need to take a holistic view of the business when it comes to optimizing media strategy. We also show how consumer experience of in-store touch points plays an important role in sales explanation, provides critical variation for marketing tactics that are otherwise unmeasurable. Now, this is pretty, I think I'd argue, a pretty key part of what we looked at, which is the client had a range of in-store display sites, which are there for months and years. Now, these are obviously static 
they don't change much. And of course, modeling thrives on variation. Mm. When you have a large marketing driver sitting in store with little variation, it's very difficult to unpick it in a time series sense. So we work with the company to understand how consumers experience the brand in store. And we created a time series for in-store display, which allowed us to understand the reach and frequency of that variable, which was otherwise static, which then allowed us to provide much needed variation for that variable, which then allowed us to quantify and understand the impact of that variable on sales, which is a large chunk of the marketing spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without that, you can't estimate static drivers. And, and finally, we also show how both survey-based attitudes and social media play a central role in persistent long-term brand building. Now, this extends existing research to show how long-term purchase behavior is a direct reflection of long-term preferences embodied in both mindset metrics and online attitudinal tracking. It also reflects the importance of online word of mouth effects, extending Mm. short-term results. And that is why social media is so very important part of the mix. One of the things I was curious about was how you treated paid versus earned. How did you distinguish these two things? So paid, typically, well, paid is, is, as I guess the name suggests, paid media. And that would offline is is usually things like, you know, TV and print and so on. Online, it would typically be constitute, um, you know, Facebook ads, for example, that kind of thing, where the brand appears directly on a social networking site. Those are also important. But what we found was that earned social media, which essentially is the type of online conversations, product reviews about the brand, that kind of thing, which can be created and translated into kind of time series, if you like. Those are far more powerful and play a very important role in brand building. But they are out of the span of control of the brand. Whether something has jumped from your paid push to the behavior of the consumer that mm-hmm. is you know, mediated by the social network, their algorithm, how they decide to push or not push certain content. Mm-hmm. You, once you've jumped into the consumer's social network, it's huge. It's great. Everybody wants to make that jump, but you can you can measure it, but you you don't control it. It's more you're aware of it, but it's very hard to control. That's very true. Um, so as part of these systems, you know, ideally what you'd like to have is a social media, let's call it product reviews, and we had online media conversations or social media conversations about the brand. You know, both of those can be driven by offline marketing. And in fact, you need, it's, it's ideal to test these things. There's a part of which could be uh, controllable, but you're right. A lot of it has a viral nature. And that's really the kind of point. Really. So when you take these online conversations and you look at their time series, you know, we had about three and a half or so years of worth of data. But when you look at the profile of that over time, it's the viral nature and how it changes and evolves. That's the key point because that's what you're mapping onto sales. Because again, it comes back to the base part of sales and the long-term evolutionary part of sales. What you're looking for is, you know, if you can understand how brand purchases off, you know, reveal base sales are trending and evolving over time. And you can demonstrate not only with the attitudinal data, the brand metrics, but also a long-term kind of co-evolving relationship with your viral, if you like, online media conversations. You're, you're then showing that there is a long-term brand effect coming from your online media conversations and how that growth in that and trend in that is transmitted into the trend in sales. And it's almost like they can feed off each other in a way and grow. It's that kind of online, offline feeding nature, which is what what we're interested in to understand brand growth. Right. So if I'm a not mathematical marketing person and I want to demonstrate, you know, if I can demonstrate that these conversations, these earned, these earned conversations help show success. Yeah. Okay. 
I just wanted yeah, to be it's, really it's clear around that because you you aren't. It's very challenging, and Facebook uh, certainly the arc of how Facebook interacted with different brands, especially entertainment brands, which I had a lot of experience with. Yeah. They throttled how much the brand's material would flow, and so it was really all about jumping into the social network of the users, and and that was the trick, and you could measure it. But it was hard to, and and that's where your creative and your success of your creative and your engagement. That's why these things are so important. So I just wanted yeah. to to make sure that I got that properly yeah. for yeah. people. So if we move our thinking, this the longer term brand building and the brand awareness and brand consideration, and they're driven by these different types of marketing. Can you bucket these things? Yes. So we're talking about things like brand awareness, brand consideration. Um, mm. These things are driven by different types of marketing. So awareness. In this study, but also typically I've seen other things, it's driven by things like offline TV, product ratings is also important. Retail product circulars is also a key thing in this paper. Yeah, brand consideration is also driven by product ratings, but also by PR, in-store mm. factors, such as there's a thing called special display, which was actually quite interesting because um, it was specifically designed to um, impact and help drive consideration. So it was actually a good learning that this was a key driver in consideration. Mm. Um, but in a way, the distinction between awareness and consideration, in this instance anyway, can become blurred as both consideration and awareness kind of interact and drive each other as part of the word of mouth process. You know, we found things like heightened product awareness can drive brand consideration, brand consideration and performance can lead back to heightened awareness. So it's almost like we're kind of, it's trying to understand the viral nature of these things and how they feed and drive trend evolution, which is what the long term is all about. It's all about understanding long-term brand performance. So the way these things work virally, if you like, and how they contribute to sales and how they contribute and interact within themselves is the key kernel of the idea behind this long-term brand evolutionary measurement. Right. Let's say I have have this information. How should I then be leveraging it in my planning? How do I apply it? I guess that's the genesis of the paper. I mean, mindset metrics provide a theoretical foundation for why long-term effects exist. I mean, that's essentially the, the, the construct. So right. they help explain long-term evolution in base sales. And this kind of corroborates the points that we made earlier, which is that uh, if brand, brand metrics are to provide a meaningful foundation for long-term effects, then they need to explain the behavior of base sales. Um, and again, this just simply follows because base sales and mindset metrics are alternative measures of underlying health. Right. In terms of how to leverage these things and use them, well, survey-based mindset data needs to be combined directly with this revealed long-term purchase demand to test for genuine, persistent brand building behavior. Mindset data needs to be combined directly with the base sales of the business to provide this kind of long-term test, if you like, for brand building. Uh, you know, And this is what provides the credible foundation for long-term advertising and resource allocation. But more pertinently, I guess, enables brand managers to identify the metrics that really matter for long-term brand health. It's almost like a test. You know, mm-hmm. you could argue that, you know, you're collecting all these data on survey. If brand sales are doing one thing, let's say let's say brand health is growing you know, from, from a base sales perspective. And let's say you've removed all the other drivers, things like macro growth, all the other things that you believe could affect the baseline of the business. And then you're left with this hopefully evolving construct, which is the brand component, essentially. And if you map that onto your collected mindset metrics and you find that mindset metrics are flat, then you kind of have a problem. You think, well, hang on, my revealed purchase is telling me there's some evolution here, but my 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 third-party data, if you like, my primary research data is telling me that things are flat. There's maybe a disconnect there. So it's almost like helping understand whether brand metric data is meaningful. And if it is meaningful and it does work with long-term base, a way of quantifying it and linking these long-term 
mindset survey metrics, these constructs through to sales, through to long-term sales and to kind of financialize or monetize them in some way. So if you're looking to know your return on investment and also to tweak what you're doing to make sure yeah. that you're really getting there, this is this is how you would apply these things. Yes, um, indeed. You know, to what, to what extent you can, forgive me, but to what, what extent you can change your mindset metrics to achieve in the near future and the longer term, X, Y, Z changes in your base. And then similarly, the customer experience uh, that feeds in, right? I I think what's interesting with customer experience is we have a real shift to digital purchasing and less and less in-store purchasing. And the reason that I believe that that is liable to become more important because consumers are looking for an experience. And so Mm -hmm. they can be very powerful, but they better be pretty good. Um, If I'm a marketing professional and I've been listening to this and I think, oh dear, I I kind of am following the conversation, but this is really outside my skill set. I don't. I, I want to be able to impress my CEO, but I. I don't know if this is really my my cup of tea. Could they engage someone like Market Science to set it up for them? How does how would that work? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we do a large amount of consultancy work, uh, quantifying, evaluating short and long term marketing effectiveness using the modeling approach outlined in the paper. Now, that's a fairly recent publication, but we've been doing that for ages. Right. But we also supplement this with training and software licensing. Um, so we have, a, we have a range, if you like, of business models. But absolutely. So so you can get your the people you're serving. It's it's not like scary, woo, black box. They actually start being able to understand, use, and become more empowered around the conversation of of the yes exactly so so we find often you know when when services are applied to clients and they have to explain results to their stakeholders the kind of reliance if you like on the provider to explain everything whereas we feel that you know there are clients who like that and won't be wanted done out externally but we find more and more clients like doing things themselves so we sort of license software where everything's transparent they can see the results mm-hmm. uh, and understand these journeys both short and long term um, and also the training and software licensing that goes with it helps further that aim right and so by setting up the models and you help make sure that the inputs are going to be clean and and measuring what you want them to measure and then they can understand how things go now obviously things are evolving especially when we talk about social it's it's changing 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 from a practitioner standpoint in terms of how they conceive of the function Mm -hmm. of a big class of thing um, not, I mean, obviously the platforms itself are changing and obviously I would anticipate your models are tweaking and changing, but in terms of how a consumer exists when they're being on social, when how a consumer exists when they're searching, how a consumer exists when they're receiving billboards, television ads, magazine inserts, are these human things that are pretty stable? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if I understand your question correctly, I mean, models are always changing, nothing's set in stone. Um, so the ways and techniques of trying to model evolution, if you like, and consumer behavior will always change. You know, Plus, it was actually the theoretical in- underpinnings of why would brand building be happening not in search, for instance. You know, that that's so so the why of how how a consumer is existing and behaving and why certain things are linked to short and certain things are linked to long, the 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 behavior of that, is that somewhat stable? Um we've seen, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that'll always exist. I mean, there may be okay. 
Now, there may be moves to understand long-term brand building with things like online search. And, you know, I'm sure there are papers that people come out with and research that will show it does have long-term effects. Um, really? I mean, I, I guess I'm, I've found it very interesting. I mean, we've, I've spoken to other people on the podcast around how digital display doesn't work for certain classes of goods and, and how important then other mix, how they should be thinking about other media, how people are, are behaving on these things. You know, if I'm listening and, and I don't have a model, but I'm, I'm thinking sort of broad building blocks of how things fit together, yeah. how, how often should I, does it, if a new social platform comes on, is it a, is this is this huge sort of te- tectonic shift in how I think about things, or is it more of a tweak? Um, I think it can either be, it can be both. I mean, what I mean is that you know, in terms of this methodology, all we're trying to do is offer an internally consistent, as we spoke before, right. kind of coherent framework of thinking about short and long term effects in marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, short and long term effects, short long term effects particularly, are not a done deal. You know, everyone has different approaches. All we're trying to do is offer a way of thinking about it, which we feel has more internal consistency. Now, you know, the idea of whether my paid search has may, may or may not have a long-term effect and the effect or the role of that evolves over time doesn't necessarily invalidate this methodology per se. It just means that, you know, you may need to test where that fits in that network, where that I fits see. in the modeling process. Okay. You know, and, and, and test, you know. Right, right. So we've covered a lot of ground. So what have I missed that practitioners need to know before our conversation ends? The, the main point of this paper really is about, the, well, there's three things really. Uh, you know, the, the main one we focused on and the headline, if you like, is the long-term, short-term idea. The other one is the kind of introducing modeling framework, which is, this, I guess you call, for want of a better expression, a dynamic, unobserved component modeling framework. The third is really this idea of causality. I mean, that's really running through all of this. Um, mm. in, this model, in these days of attribution, people are always talking about attribution, um, which is incredibly critical. Um, you know, for understanding things like budget allocation. People want to well, understand yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the biggest part. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's a million-dollar pie chart, right? Everyone wants to understand how to allocate their resources. Problem is, is that in all of these models, and I talk a lot about this in the paper, things like simple regression analysis with paid search, you know, has an inherent bias, typically, particularly with online media. And what I mean by that is things like online media are highly subject to things called selection bias. Selection bias is essentially when a part of the impact of a treatment like paid search on an outcome variable like sales is caused by a factor that predicts the likelihood of selection into treatment, which is in this case sales, rather than due to the treatment itself. So the classic example is when we use a regression model to estimate, say, the years of impact of education uh, on uh, earnings potential, for example, which is the outcome. The regression effect is inherently biased since those with higher ability are more likely to opt in to more years of education and would have earned more anyway. So without controlling for that kind of latent ability, i.e. the factor that impacts selection into schooling, the regression parameter is biased. Now, there's been loads of work on this and Nobel Prize have been won to understanding this stuff. But the point I'm trying to make is so it is with paid search and other so-called last touch media. Simple regressions of sales on search clicks, which is a component of site visits, for example, are biased, typically, since those consumers with the highest propensity to buy are more likely to take part in the paid search treatment, in inverted commas. Well, right. Well, right. When we talk about people searching on Amazon, those people are highly motivated purchasers. So a lot happened before they got there. It's sort of- Well, 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 there is that, yes, but that's the last click idea. But the point I'm getting at is that that, the, 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 the coefficient or the parameter, if you like, of that variable, that click variable in the sales equation is itself inherently biased. Right. Because 
this inherent latent purchase predisposition implies that a large part of that paid search variable is simply an artifact of the sales process. And we're essentially addressing a part of sales in itself. This is why in all these models, when we do that, we find these massive coefficients of, say, things like paid search, particularly branded, because it's simply an artifact. Taking that as on face value, everything is skewed towards search. To try try and tease out that correlation causation is key to all of this. Whether it's really causal or not is another matter. And meaningful marketing budget allocation relies inherently on a meaningful causal parameter. So a lot of what we do, and I talk a lot about this in the paper, a lot of what we do is to unpick which part is causal and which part is correlation. And that's a kind of the meaning of life when it comes to modeling, really. Well, yeah. And so, so important. (laughs) And and you, you do it. Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got a couple of blogs coming out, which which go into this in more detail, um, you know, and it's not a done deal. I mean, there are many different ways of trying to understand causal relationships. And as I say, I mean, the Nobel Prize last year was won for this, you know, so trying to understand from observational data, not the type, not, not experimental kind of um, test and control, you know, you have a treatment group, you have a control group and so on, where you can generate more or less causal inference. We just have observational data. The school's earning example a minute ago. How do you mm. generate typical, how do you generate real causal information from that. It's very hard, but it's critical. It's critical for what we do. On a final note, a big deal is made about predictive analytics in, in this industry. Right. To me, that's a little bit of a red herring. It's very, you, you can build a sales equation as a function of search. It'll predict brilliantly, more and more unlikely, but it tells you very little about the causal nature of it, which is what allocation is all about. So the point being is that in all this, the thread running through all of this is attribution and how do you really causally attribute often online sales effects and split it away from the purely correlation aspect. And really the model you've built, this dynamic model, these two parts help practitioners understand what is contributing where, how. Yes, exactly. Well, this has been so, so interesting. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.